Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Happy Advent, everyone. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode. It's been a while on our part that we've sat down to record. We had a lot going on in the month of November, yes. so we stacked up on a bunch of podcast episodes. We haven't even been together to record since you turned 50. Yes. Wendy, Wendy turned birthday. 50 on November 7th. <laughs> I turned 53 on the same day. Yes, if you didn't know that, Wendy and I have the same birthday. But I skipped my birthday this year to celebrate the big 5-0 for Wendy. And I gave Wendy a special gift that our podcast listeners were were in on. Yes. <laughs> so I did not know that Christopher had um, recorded a little request for our listeners who were felt inspired to send uh, some words of um, gratitude or affirmation my way for my 50th birthday. So that was... A beautiful, beautiful surprise. I enjoyed my 50th birthday so much. It was, um, I think, not a super dramatic celebration. Just what my husband and close friends put together was beautiful. It was a beautiful celebration. But I don't want you to think like we did some kind of, um, I don't know, trip or some right, kind right. of... It was, it was here. It was, it was simple. It was simple but beautiful. But... Uh, absolute joy and um, amazing component was Christopher having gathered, of course, from listeners, but also friends, old friends, family, just uh, words of appreciation for me, which is a, is a huge blessing. And I'll say this, like, to read uh, words from listeners all over the world is kind of just mind-boggling and uh, humbling for sure. I'm, I'm so grateful that um, we have this opportunity to record this podcast and form these connections with the body of Christ all over the world. And thank you. Thank you, those of you that had something to say to bless me. It did bless me. It was a very special gift. It's a strange, as you're saying that, I'm, I'm just thinking how what a strange, invisible connection we have with people around the world. But it's not Saying invisible does not mean uh, it's it's not real. Mm -hmm. It's very real, this connection we have with our listeners. And I just was filled with a great hope that on the other side, in eternity, that which is invisible in this communion we have with our listeners will be made visible in mm -hmm. the communion of saints. That'll be really, really, mm -hmm. really special. Yes. Look forward to that. Yes. Any updates from the Tubi Institute for us? Yeah, take a look at uh, the link for our course schedule coming up in 2023. We have most of 2023 filled in. We have, if you want to start the year with a retreat, a five-day reflection here in Pennsylvania on how the theology of the body illuminates the whole of our faith. This is the course we call TOB and the New Evangelization and what we do is we take a tour of the catechism with our TOB glasses on. Uh, the Theology of the Body Level 1 course is a prerequisite. So this is an invitation to everybody who's already taken TOB 1 
to come back and take a tour of the catechism and watch how the faith comes alive. You will not regret it. It's one of my favorite courses to teach. It used to be my favorite. Then I started teaching the Mary course. That became my favorite. Um, yeah, but check out check out the, the link in the show notes and prayerfully consider starting your year with a tour of the catechism through the lens of John Paul II's Theology of the Body. It'll mm. change your life. Mm. And if you come and you are a listener, you must introduce yourself to us. Indeed. <laughs> you ready for questions? Yes, let's do it. I'm going to save our patron question for the last one on this episode. So this first one is from a listener named Rebecca. Okay. Hello, Rebecca. First of all, I want to say that I've been so deeply blessed by your work. My husband and I are faithful listeners and have been since we began our dating relationship. We've been so edified by the two of you and speak of you as though you are our personal friends. Uh, see, that's what I was just talking about. <laughs> that's true. That connection we have. Yeah. And guess what? We are your friends. And I can't wait. On the other side, we will know you. We will yeah. be so enriched by our friendship yes. and eternity. What a gift. I would like to ask a question that has been on my mind and heart for a long time. I've often run into negative views on natural family planning among devout Catholics, some of whom have broad platforms and a lot of influence. Many claim that NFP is often used with a contraceptive mindset and say that the church only permits periodic abstinence under grave circumstances. The underlying theme always seems to be that if you're not directly trying to have children, you're being selfish and are not really open to life. In reading Humanae Vitae, it seems to me that NFP is painted in a positive light by the church as an opportunity to grow in self-mastery and authentic, mature love and that prudence should be exercised whether you're trying to conceive or trying to avoid conception. Can you speak into this and offer some insight? Am I wrong to think that practicing NFP is not merely permissible, but commendable? Preach it, sister. That's my reaction. <laughs> <laughs> go, for, go for it, Rebecca. You, you are... I, well, I wanted to say is good on you. Good on you, Rebecca. That You're, you're putting your finger on... I think something that is a, a sad element of what I might consider overly zealous Catholics. There's there, there's always an element of truth in overzealousness, but when it gets over, we have a problem, right? There there is let's just say this there there is uh, certainly the reality that people could use and maybe sometimes do, maybe oftentimes do use NFP with a selfish kind of mentality. Um, they may look at NFP as a just another way of avoiding children, and they may have bought into a kind of, you know, modern marriage is more about me than about self-giving love, and okay, I'll use the NFP thing, but we're just doing it because we bought into the modern idea of it's it's about me, and I'm not really outwardly directed in sacrificial love. Is that possible? Sure it is. Uh, is the proper reaction to that imbalance to go to the other imbalance and, and use words like only acceptable for grave reasons and, you know, give, to give the impression that if you're using NFP, it's, it's really, well, you're probably really being selfish here. 
And and that that's that's responding to one imbalance with another imbalance. And this is part of the fallen human reality. We are imbalanced, and we tend to think the way you solve one imbalance is to go to the other extreme. And there is, you know, there's there's leeway here in terms of just accepting this is part of the human condition. And in my analogy here, it's like tuning a guitar. When you're tuning a guitar, you have to go sharp, and then you have to go flat, and then you have to go less sharp, and then less flat, and less sharp, and less flat, and then it's like, ah, you have the note. Um, I can tell, Rebecca, that you are a person really honestly seeking that, ah, that note, mm. and you're recognizing, okay, that, what I'm hearing from some of these Catholic people with the platform who are giving me the impression that if I'm using NFP, it's it's almost always or almost inevitably selfish. Uh, yeah, that's that was what I would call going sharp. That whole attitude is going sharp. On the other hand, those who think, you know, use NFP whenever you want. You use NFP if you just don't want to have any more kids because you're not even examining your motives and you just bought into the modern mentality and I want my 1.2 children and then we're going to use NFP to avoid it. Okay, there, there you've gone flat, right? But I would also say if somebody really has bought into the modern mentality, they're not going to be using NFP or they're going to be using NFP with deep resentment to the point that the sacrifice required of practicing NFP, if you're really not living a sacrificial life, you're going to throw that out the window and just get sterilized or use condoms or whatever. Um, and then on the other hand, I want to point out that those who often are saying, who have gone sharp here and are saying only grave reasons, sometimes, not always, I can't read people's hearts, but I do know of real situations, of real people who have come to me with real problems in their marriage, and it turns out the reason they're not using NFP is because they're not master of themselves. And in the name of supposed virtue that we're having a big Catholic family and we keep having children, what's really going on is the lack of self-mastery. The, the, I, I, I'm thinking of a couple right now who came to me years ago and they had already had, I think, five or six children, and the wife was desperately needing a break. But the husband could not control himself, and so they continued to have children. What you are pointing out, Rebecca, which is so important, is that practicing natural family planning demands the virtue of self-mastery. And to grow in the virtue of self-mastery is not only commendable. It is absolutely required for marital love to be precisely that marital love. And so I always hold out when I'm discussing these matters, I always say to couples, whether you need to avoid a child or not, you should always be working into your relationship some time of abstinence. Why? Because the ability to say no is the proof that when you say yes, your yes has meaning, and it's coming from a place of real freedom. If you cannot say no to your urge to merge, as I sometimes put it, if you cannot say no to your sexual desires, your yes is emptied of any meaning.
So the church holds out to us not so much uh, natural family planning as the means to a healthy marriage and a happy marriage, but rather the church holds out to us mastery of self as the key to a healthy marriage. And practicing natural family planning is a means of growing in self-mastery. What is required is self-mastery. And I think you're really sensing that, Rebecca, and I want to commend you. I invite you, whatever suffering these overly zealous Catholics may have caused you, I invite you to offer that suffering on their behalf because there is something imbalanced there. And I'll just point this out to you. Janet Smith has done a lot of good work here. Uh, uh, she has demonstrated that what gets often translated as grave reasons for using natural family planning, the more appropriate translation, and this is what the Catechism says, the catechism, just go right to the Catechism. The Catechism says uh, that married couples, for just reasons, may space or avoid another pregnancy. For just reasons, right? Grave makes it sound like you have to be on, on your deathbed or something. No, it is just reasons. What are just reasons? Well, that would be a separate question altogether, and I'm just, for now, I'm going to point you to my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, where I, where I outline what would be just reasons. I'll also just throw in this one more thing, and I'm sure, Wendy, you have some beautiful light from your feminine heart and motherly heart and wifely heart to shine on this. Um, John Paul II says that part of responsible parenthood is the fact that the couple and the couple alone can discern whether they have just reasons. Right? You don't have to get permission from your local bishop. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, you should turn to those you consider wise and to give you good counsel. But in the end, the responsibility is on your own shoulders to discern whether you have just reasons. That is between you and the Lord. Um, so I hold that out. That's part of responsible parenthood. When we're when we're saying, let my bishop decide, or let my spiritual director decide, or or let my pastor decide, we're we're really putting a responsibility that belongs on our shoulders on somebody else. So just throw that out. That comes right out of the mouth of JP too. Yes, Rebecca, I think that um, you and your husband and Christopher and I share a very same heart about this question, which is such a sensitive question, as you're you're already living something countercultural by by caring that the church teaches something very important here, something you know crucial about not contracepting and how our vows in our vows we vow to be open to life and that means we don't sterilize our union. That is so countercultural right there. And um, it's so sensitive. I think in the culture we live in, what you said, Christopher, about just this concept of not just marriage, but like life is about me and my fulfillment. That's what it's all about. And I'm only getting married if I don't have to give up anything about my fulfillment. And, you know, that is so kind of drilled into us and made to like wrapped in a bow that makes it look so inspiring somehow yeah. Yeah. that we just forget we're following the Lord Jesus who died on the cross. Like, mm. um, is that about his fulfillment? Like <laughs> it's about his outpouring for others. So yeah, let's, let's look at what marriage is and, um, and it's beautiful and Christ is with us in it, but 
these questions of when to use NFP, in other words, when to avoid pregnancy by avoiding our union during times of fertility, that's what we're saying, it, those are difficult questions to answer for a couple. And I can remember the years of our marriage kind of at times wishing someone could just shine a light for me to, because I didn't want to be doing it for the wrong reason. And so we can be vulnerable to, you know, people with these platforms that kind of feel, maybe give us the feeling, oh, I must be doing this for the right, wrong reason. Right. So I think your heart there is in part, you know, concerned. Is that the only message that's getting out? You know, are we kind of associating faithfulness to the church's vision of marriage with that? And um, so I just, I really, I share a, kind of a sense of needing to intercede for people of genuinely good heart who are vulnerable to being kind of forced into a corner where they, they don't feel they, they could ever have the right reason to avoid a pregnancy. So I just want to speak peace to the hearts of our listeners that it is difficult. It is part of the task of marriage, of married couples to to really know yourself, know your spouse, know your strengths and weaknesses as a couple as best you can, and and try to step together in faith in this regard. Faith that leads you at times to just not chart, not be concerned, wait and see what comes. Faith that at other times leads you to trust. There are times of absence required. They're not easy but we're in this together. We see the bigger picture of where we are in life, where what our children's needs are, what our financial needs are, what our parents' needs are, all those things that are important to look at. And we travel that stage of our marriage together in faith and trust. And to not allow these kind of judgmental voices that are so present in our culture that make us think we have to be perfect. Right, we don't have right. to be perfect. We don't have to be perfect, and we don't have to meet someone else's guidelines for what our family size should be, or or the spacing of our children. Like, just I just want to speak peace to you that it's okay. It's okay mm. to be yourself for your spouse to be him or herself to grow together through this journey of marital love, and trust the Holy Spirit to guide you and to see. Yes, there are going to be fruits. In your life, if during times when you're using NFP to avoid pregnancy, there are going to be fruits that come from that. And that's what you're sensing in Humanae Vitae. And if you read other writings of Pope John Paul II on this, Familiaris Consortio, you're going to see that, that there are these fruits and they're good. And the yeah. church needs you to have those fruits in your life because therefore you have more to give. So uh, to to all the ways that the Lord is calling you to give, you have more when you are in, in touch with those graces. So um, I hope that that's encouraging to our listeners. And to live that, what you just shared, Wendy, is not only permissible, it's commendable. In, indeed, we, we have a duty. <laughs> we have a duty to live what you just shared. And, and I would describe it as the way toward perfection, right? which is very different than a perfectionism. I think oftentimes behind those judgments is a, is a perfectionistic attitude where we, we take that scripture, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect out of context. 
and we don't recognize that there's a way to perfection. And I'll just point briefly to the little flower who says, paradoxically, the way we grow in perfection is by recognizing our imperfection and opening that up to the Lord and trusting He loves us right there. And when you're living in that disposition, the one Wendy's outlining, those when you see people who have those judgmental attitudes, it can just kind of roll off your back and you can you can lift up a prayer for them because they're they're wrestling with their own issues and and demons, so to speak. So mm. Lord, thank you for loving us as you do. Help us to open up to that and help us to live in the freedom for which you have set us free. Amen. Amen. Next question is from a listener named Philip. Hello, Philip. Philip says, there was a marriage between man and woman in the beginning before the fall. If redemption and resurrection is the restoring of our humanity to its origins, why won't there be a marriage in heaven? Maybe the better way to pose this question is, is there a difference between original and eschatological man? Oh, Philip, you're putting your finger right on it. I think you already answered your question. Well, let me answer your question. Yes, there is a difference between original man and eschatological man, and you're framing it up precisely correctly in the way you ask this question. So for those who aren't familiar with what are, what are we even talking about, original man, eschatological man? <laughs> so these are phrases that John Paul II uses in his Theology of the Body. Uh, Christ points us back to the beginning uh, to understand God's original plan for marriage in his discussion with the Pharisees. And Christ came into the world, this is the good news of the gospel, Christ came into the world to restore creation to the purity of its origins. But to read, to read, to restore creation to the purity of its origins is not for us to reach our ultimate goal. To restore creation to the purity of its origins is only to give us a clear foreshadowing of our ultimate destiny. So in the beginning, in earthly paradise, what they experienced before sin was not the ultimate reality. What they experienced before sin was a perfect, unmarred reflection and foreshadowing of the eternal marriage of the Lamb. Mm. So Scripture begins with the marriage of man and woman, but it ends with the marriage of Christ and the church. So when Christ says there will be no marriage in the resurrection, what he's saying is you no longer need the foreshadowing of the eternal marriage when you are participating in the eternal marriage. Mm -hmm. The ultimate destiny is not a return to the beginning. Returning to the beginning is merely to give us the, the perfect foreshadowing of the ultimate reality. Nakedness without shame in the beginning, the full expression of the male-female communion was a perfect sacrament of the eternal reality. But there are no sacraments in the resurrection. Why? Because you no longer need them. Because the purpose of sacraments are to give us here on earth a taste of the heavenly reality. When you're feasting on the heavenly reality in heaven, you don't need the, the picture, the foreshadowing, the sacrament of that reality, because you're in it. You've arrived. You're there. I'm just struck by the phrase um, in the scripture that says, in, in heaven there's no sun. 
because yeah, yeah, yeah. Christ is that right. light. Christ is the light. Yeah, so there was, when... there was a sun rising and setting in the beginning. Right. And, and we love that image of sun. It's so meaningful. It's light and warmth and life. And we can, you know, be inspired by it here on earth. It's the coming of the bridegroom and the Woo. sunrise, all of those things. But when we get to heaven, Jesus is the sun. He's right. the light. It's, we don't need that anymore. So I don't know if that's and helpful. No, that's, I've thought of that many times, Wendy, that very thing. And I think that was led by the Spirit. And I'll, I'll just add this, another scripture that comes to mind, where Christ says, those worthy of the future world will shine like the sun themselves. Mm. And we have this image also in the book of Revelation of Mary, the woman, a great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, mm -hmm. clothed with the sun. That means to be clothed with that glory of the second person of the Trinity. That's our destiny. When we are clothed in that glory, and what does it mean to be clothed in that glory? That's, remember the, the parable of the guy who gets booted out of the wedding feast? He gets booted out of the wedding feast because he's not wearing the right outfit, you know? <laughs> I mean, if you look at it from that perspective, you're like, what? What? You, you, there's a dress code here or something? You're not wearing the right clothes? You get booted out? Well, what's the garment that he's not wearing? He's not wearing that that, that nuptial garment. He's not wearing that spousal garment. Mm -hmm. To be clothed with the sun is to wear that garment of the bridegroom that makes the church the bride. So that's, by the way, is why we clothe the newly baptized in white, right? Because that's the symbol of the bride. Mm -hmm. And we all become the bride in that sense. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. Our next question is from a patron who submitted her question anonymously. She says, how can T.O.B. help me give myself sexually to my husband when I feel so disconnected from him? Mm. I have been hurt, betrayed, and used. Mm. I can't count on reparation work on his part. I'm trying to get better and be a better person. I want to be a saint. I'm really stuck on the question of sexual intimacy. Mm. It is so hard for me to give myself so intimately in these conditions. Mm. I can give up on many of my needs, but for our marriage's sake, I need encouragement and wisdom on this point because my husband won't give up on this need and I wouldn't want to give up on the possibility of communion for us anyway. Wow. Wow. Very tender, very sensitive. Before I say anything, I just want to show reverence to how tender this wound is and how important this question is. And I'm sure, Wendy, you'll have some reflections to share from things we've gone through in our own marital relationship. It's, I, I want to walk, it's, man, I'm hesitant to even open my mouth because it's so sensitive. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm walking on a tightrope. I don't want to imply, please, please let, let all the listeners hear this. I don't want to imply that a, a woman... A wife uh, needs to subject herself to being used by her husband. And I can imagine a situation in which it is entirely appropriate for a wife 
who's in a marital relationship, let's just take an example of a wife who has a husband who's addicted to porn. She has every right and maybe even a, a responsibility and a duty to herself and her own dignity to say, I am ready and willing to be open to you in our marital embrace if you are willing to do the work that will be required for this to be really and truly a marital embrace. But you are immersed in porn right now, which makes me an object for you to just use and, you know, use me to, to have your own selfish gratification, and I am not available for that. I can imagine a situation in which that is the right approach to take. I just want that to be said. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I can imagine a situation that maybe is, is less severe. I don't know the details of this right. woman's husband and what's actually going on. But I can imagine a situation that is less severe, and here we're speaking maybe right into our own marital situation, where I was not immersed in porn in our relationship, although I had had a history as a teenager, I had been exposed to a lot of porn, and that had warped me, that had that had really messed up my head. And, and we've been married 27 years, and it's been a long journey of inner purification on my on my part and on your part, Wendy, to to work through how the baggage that I brought into our relationship was wounding you, and wounding you specifically in our sexual intimate relationship. So I, I painted the one side of the picture where a woman would have a right to, to say, I'm not available to be simply used by you. On the other hand, I want to paint this picture of a wife in a less severe circumstance who knows the situation is not ideal, who knows it's not yet what it's meant to be. But in the marital embrace itself, she is offering herself as an intercessor for her husband, who is not perfect. And guess what? Nor is she. Don't ever want to paint a picture that the, the woman just arrives at the marriage with virtue, and the husband is the one who's causing all the problems. That is a temptation to think that way, that we all have to avoid, because every man and every woman is fallen, hmm. right? And we have this, what amounts to a prophecy, not just a declaration, but a prophecy for every marital relationship in all of human history has to deal with this prophecy which is true and applicable to all of us. When God says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband. That's the translation. It's not a good translation because the word desire is a disordered, manipulative kind of desire. A dysfunctional reality has entered the woman's heart here, right? So we might translate it like this. The Lord says to the woman, you will have a dysfunctional, disordered desire for your husband and so will he for you. He will try to dominate you, right? That, that is the inheritance of every single marriage. Every single marriage. That's the inheritance of Wendy's and my marriage. That's the inheritance of this couple's marriage that's asking this question. That's the inheritance of every marriage. Now, that inheritance can be uh, healed, 
or we can add fuel to the fire and make it all the worse, right? And the world we live in right now, the world we are formed in right now, is just throwing fuel on the very fire that needs to be put out so that a true fire, a fire of love, yeah. the love that the lovers in the Song of Songs speak of, that vehement flame that rivers cannot quench, can be ignited in our hearts and can come to form and shape the way a husband and a wife approach the marriage bed. But spouses cannot demand perfection of each other here. They cannot say, I will not be available to you in our marital intimacy, in our marriage bed, until you become perfect, because that's impossible. Uh, and, and guess what? It's never just a, a one-way street. It's not, you got to get your act together because I'm already there. It's the commitment of a husband and a wife together to recognize where their broken places are, where their wounded places are, where their sinful places are, and together with God's grace, trusting in God's mercy, opening themselves to one another and to the Lord in the very act of intercourse in saying, we come to you, Lord, trusting in your mercy. We come to you, Lord, broken as we are, but open to the power of your mercy to heal and transform us. That is what is required. And here I'm thinking of, of the prayer of Tobias and Sarah on their wedding night, right? And, and they were facing a great battle between good and evil, between life and death. And they prayed that they would have the grace to embrace God's original plan for marriage. This was both of their desires. But the key line here in all of it is when Tobias says, uh, Lord, show us your mercy. Mm. So I entered marriage 27 years ago with you, Wendy, as you know well, with a deep desire to live this vision out. What I underestimated was, and largely underestimated, was how much my brokenness and my sinfulness and my fallen humanity uh, would thwart me from living what I so desperately desired and deeply desired to live. And I find, found myself, as every honest human being will, in that conundrum that St. Paul writes about. I see the good I want to do, but there's another power at work in me, and I don't end up doing the good that I want to do. To be caught in that dilemma, as every fallen human being is, is to take us to the point where we realize the only thing that can save me here, the only thing that can heal me here, is God's mercy. That cry of Tobias and Sarah, and it's the prayer that comes out of the mouth of Tobias, but at the end of the prayer, Sarah says, Amen, <laughs> which means she, she means the whole thing too. She wants the whole thing too. She's recognizing the whole situation too. They both want to live according to God's original plan for marriage but they both recognize they don't have the ability just to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and live it. The only thing that can enable them to live that is that cry of the heart for God's mercy. So that has to be part of the journey of 
of marital intimacy in the sexual act. Yeah, I, I feel all the sensitivity of this question and it as well, just, um, so, so real, um, what this uh, patron is saying. Um, and I'm looking at the question, you know, cause I have it in front of me. So I'm reviewing some of the things that she said. And in one part, she said, I've been hurt, betrayed and used. And yeah. I, yeah. I feel that sentence captures a lot. And when you ask for wisdom and encouragement, I want to just speak to that and encourage you to with the Lord and probably most wisely with either a spiritual director or a counselor to work through some of those very painful realities um, where those things kind of stay with us and, and kind of misshape us almost on the inside and create um, just sort of tender, sensitive places in our interior um, that I think, in my experience, over time, little by little, I don't want to make any of it sound instantaneous because it's not, painful memories that have caused wounds can be healed. Mm, thank you, God. The Lord can enter in with us into those memories if we really believe that the Lord never leaves us, it can it can hurt our relationship with Him to say, well, if you never left, then why did bad things happen? Where were you? Um, and that's a reality that we need to take to our prayer and like allow that rawness of that out in His presence. And through, like I said, through possibly counseling or spiritual direction and and also just recognizing that it's a, a, a journey and not to forge ahead where we're not ready to go. But as we are ready to go to specific um, memories of pain, to really trust that by grace, the Lord can show us where he was mm -hmm. in those experiences. <clears throat> and that is, he's always a healing presence. And we need to kind of revisit that with him to allow that healing to occur. So that is one word of encouragement I want to give you is about that journey of healing. The other one is this, that um, in that intimate encounter of husband and wife, we can in some ways feel like I am kind of touching at a very deep part of my humanity here. I am allowing a deep part of my humanity to be touched here. And if it's, if it's being touched by someone who doesn't see my dignity, doesn't see me as I am, that feels like it reinforces a wrong impression of ourselves. And we kind of want to get away from that. You know, we want to be in that safe, we want to feel safe there and known and so I, another just word of encouragement to you is to really have a, re, develop a relationship with the Lord where you know how he sees you and mm. it, he, that he has access to the deepest place of your heart and that you can, um, not, not enter into that 
embrace with your husband if it's going to violate that. If you are in a place of security in the Lord's knowledge of you and love for you, and from that space are able to um, minister to your husband in, in the sexual embrace, then that is that's kind of a safer place to come. If you're in a space where that encounter is just kind of uh, causing lies to enter into your person, lies about you being something other than how the Lord sees you, then that's, I think, just a red flag, like this is harming you. So those are just some reflections. And I, Christopher and I both would just want our listeners to know we're not counselors. And these are things that are our instincts from living in our marriage together and in our relationship with the Lord. But to encourage you also to seek the counsel of of others who maybe can know your particular situation even more intimately. I want to commend this listener for just putting this in the light. These are things so intimate to our hearts, so painful that we often don't talk about them. This is probably, you know, a, a couple that shows up at the parish on Sunday and and they look like a model couple. Mm. But underneath, our broken humanity really hurts one another. Uh, my, my fractured, wounded humanity, I know, Wendy, has hurt you terribly. And your fractured, wounded humanity has hurt me terribly. And it's not that you were being a jerk and trying to. It's not that I was right. trying to hurt you. That's just the reality of being fallen. And and thank God that this woman is putting this out into the light. That is the step in the right direction. I, I, I want to just emphasize here, <laughs> what Wendy is sharing comes from experience. It's not something she read in a book. It comes from the wounds in our own marriage. And the marriage bed has a way of bringing all this out into the light. Uh, you, you can't hide here. Like This is the purpose, even, we could say, of the sacrament of marriage. What do sacraments do? They make visible what is invisible. And these wounds so often are invisible. But the sacrament of marriage is doing its job when it makes these wounds visible. When these wounds come into the light, when you and I, Wendy, first started really in earnest uh, looking at these wounds, and we had enough time under our belt that there were enough wounds that we realized, wow, we really need to look at them. It was about 10 years into married life. Not that we hadn't been, you know, making progress in those first 10 years too, but it got to a point, a kind of a boiling point where we needed to start really looking at things. And we were on a retreat together. And we were both seeing each in our own ways how the Lord was bringing beauty out of these wounds. And the image that, I don't know if you had it or I had it, was, was like these wounds that, that were so painful um, was a kind of tilling of a, the soil of our hearts. And the Lord, in opening these, these places through pain, our, our soil was now like 
had the furrow in it where the seed could be planted for flowers to grow. And that expression I took away from that retreat, which was so hopeful mm. and has painted the last 17 years of our marriage together, 27 in total, um, is flowers from wounds. Flowers from wounds. Flowers can't grow in the dark, however. And that's why it's so good that, that this dear listener is, is bringing this out into the light. The light is our friend here, and we need people in our lives. Uh, you recommended a good therapist, Wendy, or a good spiritual director. We need people in our lives with whom we can share the deepest and the darkest things we experience. As they come into the light, that's when flowers can grow from wounds. So, Lord, we lift up this couple. We lift up their history. We lift up their wounds. We lift up their fears. We lift up their real pressing concerns on their hearts. You know them, Lord, and you have a plan for their marriage to make visible what is invisible, to bring these wounds into the light so that you can glorify these wounds. That's your promise, Lord. You came out of the tomb and your wounds were not erased. You came out of the tomb and your wounds were glorified. This is your promise, Lord, that you will glorify our wounds if we walk with you. If we are willing to carry in our bodies the death of the Lord, the life of the Lord, the glory of the Lord will also be manifested in our bodies. Marriage is a sacrament of this mystery, of carrying in our humanity these wounds, also with the hope that these wounds will be glorified. This is the sacrament of marriage, to participate in the paschal mystery of dying and rising, of flowers growing from wounds. And the grace itself gives us the sacrament, the, the sacrament itself gives us the grace yes. to say yes to that paschal mystery. Lord, we do believe, help our unbelief. We wanna say yes, Lord soften those places in our hearts where we're saying no, where we're resisting. Teach us to say yes to the Paschal mystery, to dying and rising with you. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you know someone who needs to hear what you have heard on this podcast today, we hope it has blessed you. If it has, will you help us get the word out and share this episode with, with others? That's how our audience grows. We're so grateful to you for helping us to grow our audience. And we want to grow it because this is good news we want to share with as many people as possible. Lord, multiply the seed. That's your promise too. Thank you so much for being part of this. Until next time, may you know it in your bones, in your heart. In your deepest places, may you know it that you are an unrepeatable, indispensable, irreplaceable gift of life and love. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.